Welcome to our message for the third Sunday in Advent entitled, Our Fierce Joy. The text for today's message comes from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 61, and from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 1. First, from Isaiah 61, the first four verses, and then verses 8 through 11. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And then picking up at verse 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will call right, cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. And then from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and, the whole, and holy is His name. His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray that you will fill us with joy, that it might be our strength to do all that you've commanded us to do, that your kingdom may come on earth. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We say it. We sing it. We believe it. After all, it's in the Bible. But honestly, too often we confuse joy with happiness. They're two different things. When we're having a bad day, we might say we've lost our joy. Maybe we're having trouble finding joy in the holidays. But what we're describing when we say those things is an emotion. We're sad because of a bad day. We may be stressed or anxious about the holidays. Happiness is an emotion that is generally tied to our circumstances. It comes and goes with the events of our lives. 
You know, we step out of the house on a beautiful spring morning. We're happy. Then we get in the car to head to work and someone pulls out in front of you. Well, now we're mad. We get to the office and find a co-worker is in the hospital. We're sad. Before we've even begun our day's work, perhaps we've been through three or four different emotions, all depending on what's going on in our lives. You get the picture. <clears throat> emotions can change in an instant, depending on what's going on in your life. But joy, joy is an entirely different experience that transcends all of the circumstances of daily life. Isaiah is rejoicing. That is, he's full of joy in the most difficult of circumstances. Uh, because of Isaiah's circumstances, surely he must have been mourning. He must have experienced sadness and even fear. But he is rejoicing. He is full of joy, even when he and his people are in captivity. Their country has been destroyed, and now they are prisoners in a foreign land. And in the midst of, of being a prisoner, Isaiah is full of joy. What's worse, maybe, is that God has called him to a difficult job. Not only is he a captive, but God has laid an awesome responsibility on him, a difficult responsibility to release captives, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim good news to those who are oppressed. Those are not, that's not an easy job description. In fact, it's the same mission that would end up getting Jesus killed. In exchange for this difficult mission, though, God will dress Isaiah and the people in party clothes. That's what he's described here. A garland of praise instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, and a mantle of praise instead of a heavy spirit. Isaiah finds joy in spite of hardships by doing the thing he was called to do. He is fulfilled through living out his purpose. When we find our purpose, we find a joy that transcends our circumstances and our emotions. Mary's story is familiar. Upon hearing that she is about to be an unwed pregnant teenager, she responds with joy. Let that sink in. She discovers that she's going to be an unmarried pregnant teenager in a culture that will reject her, and yet she responds with joy. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Her situation is nothing to be happy about. Her circumstances are horrible. She has to convince her fiancé that she hasn't cheated on him. That's not going to be easy. I mean, who would really believe her story that she is pregnant yet without having had sexual relations with anyone? She has to convince her parents that God caused her pregnancy. That's not an easier story either. Either her fiancé or her father could have executed her. They could have taken her life for shaming the family with this pregnancy. She will have to live in the small town of Nazareth, 250 or 300 people, with all of the shame that would go with her pregnancy. They would shame her for being pregnant without being married. She'll become a fugitive in Judah and an immigrant in Egypt. Remember that after the baby is born, uh, King Herod puts out a death sentence on him and is determined to kill the baby. And so uh, Mary becomes a fugitive in the land of Judah and has to escape as an immigrant into Egypt. Ultimately, she will endure the agony of watching her son die 
a brutal death. This is not an easy calling that God has given her. The circumstances of the calling would surely weigh heavy on her and bring all sorts of emotions. She would be filled with fear, with sadness, with happy times, and with extreme grief. In spite of horrendous difficulties, though, she breaks forth in fierce joy. My soul magnifies the Lord. She's found her purpose in her calling. The joy of the Lord is, in fact, our strength. I see it time and again. Uh, When I think about an exhausted parent who keeps going long into the night with a crying infant, I've been that parent sometimes. I remember with our firstborn, our son, uh, having a very difficult night, and I spent two hours walking him down the very short hallway in our parsonage and back, back and forth for two hours, holding him, cradling him, just trying to make him happy so that he would quit crying. Uh, I did that. It was, it was a difficult night. It was a hard night. I was not happy about it. But the joy of the calling of parenthood sustained me. The joy of being able to care for my son and hope for his future sustained me, even in the difficulty. I've witnessed one spouse standing at the deathbed of another in deep grief, while still leaning on the, on the joy of the Lord, singing praise to God as the loved one passes away, clinging to something that not even death can destroy. I've seen the joy of the Lord at work in our members who have tirelessly followed their passion for the church for decades. I can't help but think of Buddy Burton, who's no longer with us, who every Sunday morning showed up at the building, every Sunday morning showed up to sweep off the sidewalks, to make sure the doors were unlocked, and to to make sure that the building was ready to receive worshipers. He didn't expect any praise for it. He uh, wasn't looking for pats on the back. It was his calling to do that special thing. I think about Lib Powell, who's still with us, visiting the homebound long after becoming one of them, although we don't tell her that. She has got such a passion for being out sharing the presence of Christ with our members and with our community that that it has sustained her well into her 90s. I wonder what kept those folks going. I'll be honest, I dream of retiring one day. I dream of being able to to, uh, step aside from from my full-time job. So I'm dreaming of retiring while so many of you are continuing in ministry into your 80s and even your 90s. What causes you to do that? I can only imagine that it must be fierce joy. People burn out when we push them to do what we want them to do. When we have an agenda for somebody else, when we recruit others to do the things that we think are important, then burnout is a danger. But when people find their true calling, the joy of the Lord sustains them and empowers them indefinitely. Isaiah and Jesus shared the same calling, and it inspired and drove them for their whole lives. It empowered them. It strengthened them with joy. Mary had a different calling, but still the joy of the Lord sustained her. I pray that you'll discover your calling and that you will abandon yourself to fierce joy. Amen.